everybody. This is Pearl Sharenza, and I want to welcome you to the summit that you are here joining us. I hope that you are open to sitting back, grabbing a piece of paper, maybe a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, whatever that is for you, as we help ignite your mind and help you to unleash your inner power for success. And I just want to take some time right now and introduce myself. My name is Pearl Sharenza. I am a mental fitness life coach, author, and speaker. I am a wife to my husband, Charles Sharenza, of almost 37 years in just a few short weeks. I'm also a mom to my son, Matthew, who is forever 25, and my youngest son, Nate, who is 23 years old. And I am so honored to call myself their mom and my husband, his wife. And if you listened, when you first heard that, I didn't say I was a wife and mom first. And here's the story of my journey to embracing that I am more than just a mom and a wife and a daughter and a sister and a friend. I'm more than any of those titles that we're given. I am Pearl Sharenza. I am somebody who has goals and visions and dreams. I'm also somebody who struggled in finding that and understanding that some of the things that I sabotage myself with included the fact that I couldn't say no to others and yes to myself. I never showed up to what I wanted or never was in tune to the things that I wanted for myself. And so my journey started back about 2015 when I started to realize I wanted more out of my life. And I was introduced to this opportunity to take a course. It's called the Identity and Destiny course. And during this course, it was a six-week course, and I met some really amazing people in the in the six weeks that I was there, made some great connections. And at the end of the six weeks, we had to give our I am statement. And here's the situation. My I am statement, my friend that I met in there, Shannon, she called me out on it. And she said, I still hear you say you're a wife and you're a mom. By the way, don't you have another son named Nate? Wow. Did I sit back and realize I was missing the point of this course? Why was I sitting in this course if at the end of six weeks, I couldn't still figure out who the heck I was, that I was still saying I'm a wife, a mom, and all these titles that I was giving myself or somebody has given to me. So I decided that that summer of 2015, I needed to go on a journey to figure out who Pearl was. What were my goals? What were my dreams? What are some of the things that I wanted for myself? And as I did that, I realized, first of all, starting with who I had been and who I no longer want to be was hard. So I started with recognizing the things that I was doing that didn't bring me joy anymore. The big one that showed up on a piece of paper as I went through this journey and was journaling around it was saying yes to everything and anybody that asked me to do or be somewhere. Do you feel like that sometimes? Like somebody asks you to do something and you say yes without even thinking about whether you really want to do it? Do you feel like you're being pulled in all kinds of directions and you're stressed out, you're not sleeping at night because you've said yes to so many things, you're overwhelmed, that you even forgot to do laundry, that even the thought of doing a grilled cheese sandwich just freaks you out and sets you down a tailspin? Been there. Through this journey, I realized that was a big issue I had. 
And that was that I wanted to be a people pleaser, that I just didn't want to disappoint anybody. I didn't want to feel guilty that if somebody asked me to do something, I said no, that they would think that I didn't care for them or I didn't like them. I didn't want my family to think I didn't love them because I was telling them, no, I couldn't go to the practice after school. I couldn't show up for an event they wanted me to do or that I felt guilty if the PTA asked me to make cupcakes for something that was going on. I didn't want to disappoint anybody by saying no. And I realized I had said yes to so many things that without saying yes to myself, my self-care was suffering as well. I was tired. I was stressed. I was snappy with my kids, snappy with my husband. I didn't enjoy when I would go to the events or do the things I was doing. I didn't fully enjoy it because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Do I really want to be here? I don't know that I want to do this. And, or maybe even why was I doing this? And then it brought me back to when I used to live in Virginia and I was a loan officer. And I realized I was doing it back then too. You know, I was in sales. Loan officer is a form of sales. I didn't want to disappoint my real estate agent. So anytime they called me, even at three o'clock in the morning, one would call me, I would answer the phone. So yes, even at the time of being a loan officer, I found myself saying yes to so many things that my loan off, that my agents wanted that I had for years, as I look back, I realized I've been doing people pleasing for a heck of a long time. So what was I going to do about it? Who was Pearl? What did Pearl want to do? So that's when I had to start this journey, like I said, in the summer of 2015, to figure out who I wanted, what I wanted, who I was, and where did I want to go with my life. And listen, if the answer was going to be, I enjoyed the way I was, I want to do what I was going to do, I probably would have kept doing it. But can you tell me that you're happy being a people pleaser? Can you tell me that you're happy being stressed out and not enjoying some quiet time on the front porch? Can you tell me that you're okay with doing everything for everybody, but not going to get your nails done, not getting your hair cut, not maybe going to the beach, or even something as simple as sitting on your front porch swing. I can tell you as I did this journey in 2015, I realized I was not happy, that this was not where I wanted to be in my life, and I had to do something about it. But how was I going to start saying no? Like truly, I was such a people pleaser. I said yes to so many people, to everything. It was going to take a lot of work. And it wasn't easy. And the guilt of saying no, oh, let me tell you, when I first started, heck yeah, did it come on. And at the same time, I started to find my ground on the word no. I started to step into my word no. I started to realize that no was as powerful as yes. And no can be as exciting as the word yes. I mean, think about it. When we say yes to something, we're so excited. Whether it's going to a baseball game or helping a friend do something. Whether it's showing up and going on vacation or saying you're going to help somebody clean their house. Like you say yes so excitedly to things, even if they don't line up with what you want. But when it comes to no, no, I, 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 um, uh, I, I, you stumble over your words and say no. But you, when you step in the word no, when you step into understanding that no is as excitedly as yes, your world can change. My world changed. I started realizing that I had to embrace this. No matter how hard it was, I had to learn to embrace the word no. 
So what did I do? I decided to go on this journey of first figuring out what brought me joy. And so that's what I did. I started really working on what brings me joy. Getting up in the morning and sitting out front in the front porch with quiet time. I didn't do it before I started this list, but I, as I was doing this, I was like, wow, this feels good. This is quiet. Nobody's asking me to get them here, get them there. Nobody's asking me, oh, I forgot my homework at home, mom. Can you bring it to school? Nobody's asking me, mom, I forgot my football cleats. Can you bring them to after school? Mom, I forgot my Boy Scouts outfit. Can you help me find it? I wasn't having to do that in the morning because I was setting the boundaries and empowering, empowering my family to step into their ownership of the things they have to take care of. So how did I start saying no to others and yes to myself? It started with something as simple as a rock. And all you have to do is grab a rock, a pebble, or whatever it is for you. But I just started to start with a pebble. And I just started to, I had to move, I made a commitment to myself to move the, the rock from left to right three times a day. So in doing so, that meant I had to say no to something and move the rock. So every time I said no, I moved the rock. And I made a commitment that for three times a day, I had to move the rock. And when I did that, then what happened, I decided that the word yes was just as powerful as the word no. Because here what was happening, as I was saying no to things, things that I really love to do off my joy list, I was able to do it. Like going to the beach during the day, in the middle of the day, hopping in my car, I'm here in Florida and heading to the beach and not worrying about, was I going to be back in time to get the kids at the school bus? No, they can walk home from the school bus or not worrying about what's for dinner. They can figure out dinner because here's the thing. If you're a mom and you're listening to me right now, we as women, we carry so much on our shoulders. Whether you're a CEO mom, as I like to call it, working in the home or working out of the home. You know, the old adage, stay at home mom, I say, get rid of that. Throw it out the window. Because here's the deal. Tell me, those moms that are listening, that are home during the day and you're not working outside the house and you don't have to work in your home, from home, for any kind of job, tell me you're sitting around and doing nothing all day. I venture to say you're doing a lot. Your laundry, your cleaning, you're organizing things for the kids, whether it's PTA or scouts or cheerleading or gymnastics. You're figuring out what's for dinner. You're doing a lot around the house. And guess what you're truly doing? You're running a business of the home. So when you're running the business of a home, are you a stay-at-home mom? Heck no. You're a CEO mom. You are running the business of the home. And then if you're a mom who works at the house, you tell me you come home from working all day and working with your coworkers and you come home and do nothing when you get home? I know better than that. I've been there. I've done that. You are not doing that. You're coming home. You are helping to make make dinner, maybe doing laundry, help the kids with the homework, get them to gymnastics, get them to sports, whatever that is, you're doing that too. So you're also a CEO mom. And then maybe you're listening to me and you're like, I don't have kids, Pearl. I get it. 
But tell me you're doing nothing all day in your home. Tell me you're not running the household. Maybe you have a partner. Maybe you don't have a partner. But tell me you don't have responsibilities at home. And if you don't, can you call me? Because I don't know how you do it. But here's the thing. As women, we think we have to do it all ourselves. We think we have to take care of everything and everybody. And that's why people pleasing shows up a lot for us women. So when I decided to learn how to say no to others and yes to myself and start showing up that way, guess what was changing for me? I was happier. I was going to the beach more. I was seeing girlfriends I hadn't seen in a while. My husband and I were having more dates together. I was able to do things with my children, like go and get my nails done with my oldest son, Matthew. Let me tell you, you'll learn a lot when you can do self-care with your kids about what's happening in their life. I was going to movies with my son, Nate. I was doing things that I enjoyed and I was showing up. The difference is I was showing up because I wasn't trying to rush through the nails getting done with my son. Hurry up and get this movie over with. Let's hurry up and get back home after our date with my husband. I was, I was there. I wasn't preoccupied. I was part of the conversation. I was part of what was happening between us. And then when I said yes to things that I was asked to do, guess what? I was enjoying going to do those things, whether it was helping with the silent auction, whether it was emceeing something at an event, whatever it was I was asked to do, I was showing up 100% me. But here was the big aha moment for me that came from learning to say no to others and yes to myself. Write this down. When you are always saying yes to everybody else, you turn off the fire that you have inside of yourself and you don't allow the fire for somebody else to shine. You don't allow the fire for somebody else to shine. And what do I mean by that? If I said yes to something else that I knew I didn't want to do, whether it was an event, whether it was going and helping a friend organize their their closet, whatever it was, just think about something you've said yes to. And when you showed up, you're like, oh, why am I doing this? Why do I have to do this? Why did I say yes? Oh my gosh, I wish I would have said no. Can I call and tell them I don't feel good? You're not going to do that. But here's the thing. When you learn to step into the word no, and you can say, oh my gosh, Susie, that sounds a great, like a great event you're going to be doing. And right now, it's just not something that I can commit to. Or maybe it's not, it's just not something that I feel that in my heart sings to me. You open the door for somebody else to do it. Because maybe Susie had somebody else that she's going to ask if you said no. Or maybe, just maybe, you know somebody that you could be like, hey, Susie, Mary is great at this. I think she'd be a perfect fit for you. Can I connect you guys together? Here's what has happened for me. Because I stepped into the word no, and because I learned that aha moment, I've now become what they call a connector. So people are saying, hey, call Pearl. She knows, she may know somebody that can help you. And then if it's something that I want to do, I can be like, hey, I know people, but I really love to help you with that. But I'm not being asked to do it up front. I'm being asked, do I know somebody? And then I get the opportunity to say me, or I get the opportunity to say, 
Mary. So just think about that. Just think about that. When you can step into the word no and let it be as powerful for you as the word yes, you are going to find that you are showing up more for everybody else in the way that you want to show up. So I have been on this journey now since 2015. And one of the things as I went through this journey, it was a good six months. So I got in the routine of moving the pebble, moving the pebble. If I didn't have pockets in my pants or in my skirt or in my dress, I would put the pebble in my bra. I no longer have to call the pebble out for any reason or carry it with me because now it comes naturally. Do I do it perfectly? 100% no. And any coach that tells you that they do things perfectly as they coach you, fire them. Because I'm going to tell you, life is not perfect. I mean, just recently, my mom got very sick. She was near death. My husband and I, my siblings, we all agreed to have her come live with us. I started to, I, I started to see myself go down the rabbit hole of saying yes to everything for her and forgetting what my joy was. So I had to set boundaries around my interactions with her and what I would commit to for her when she was here. And let me tell you, I'm so glad I did. Because unfortunately, I have some relatives that convinced her that being here with us was not, was, she didn't need to anymore because she was healthy now. Well, yes, she's healthy because we took our time and we said yes to helping her. And the minute she decided she didn't want to do that anymore, I, I said, fine, I'm not going to ask you or beg you to be with us because you know the right thing to do and you need to make the choice. And guys, that meant I said yes to me, my self-care and my well-being. And trust me, do I, do I think my mom should be on her own? own? Ex- absolutely not. However, you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. And when you do, then it takes away from your goals and your visions and your dreams for what you want, because now you're people pleasing again. So I did not want to do that anymore. So I'm telling you, if you can embrace the word no, the guilt part is hard. The first few months, it's hard. And if you can learn, like I coach in our Shiro method, we have a four month course that we coach on how to find, how to step into your word no, how to find the roadmap to the goals and visions you want. And we also talk about communicating our realistic expectations to our loved ones, including our job. And as I learned those steps, and as I walked this walk, I realized I was not the only woman out there that feels like they have to say yes to everybody. And so I started having conversations with my family, my friends, so that they would understand it's not that I don't love them. It's that because I love them so much, I have to put my cape on first, so tight and take care of my well-being, and then, and then I can show up to be the wife, the mom, the friend, the daughter, all of those things that I want to be for them. 100% in. No stress. The best part is my self-care has multiplied. I go on a staycation once a month here in Florida. I sometimes will fly up to go see a friend or fly out to see a friend. 
I no longer feel guilty when I say, no, I can't help with that or no, I can't do that. And I have had such beautiful relationships with my husband and both of my boys. And I, I look back and I look back at that as being a gift to me because we did lose our son, Matthew, last year, July 25th of 2022. And I can look back and remember just the day before he passed the conversations and the all in I was in the conversation. And so I have no regrets over taking the time to show up for me so that I was 100% in conversations and in actions of things we did together as a family, as a mom, as a wife, and as a friend. And, And so I want you to understand that this is who I am today. This is not who I was in 2015 and looking back. And this is who I am continually to work on to grow into not letting myself be sabotaged by the people pleaser, not letting myself judge my own, my own self or letting anybody else judge me because I'm saying no to something. And to understand and know that the word no is powerful because at the end of the day, when I'm no longer here, and I'm going to ask you this question, get out your piece of paper, write down this question. If tomorrow you were no longer here and all your family and friends could say about you at your eulogy was what they saw you do for yourself, what would they say? If it was the old me, they would say, I wish you made more time for us. I wish she wouldn't have been so busy. I wish she would have taken care of herself. I'm not leaving I wishes anymore. I'm leaving the legacy of the word no. I'm leaving the family to say when Pearl came with us to do X, Y, Z, she was 100% there. When mom came to my college football game, she wasn't worried about what she had to get done back home. When mom would go to the movies with me, she laughed and had fun and she wasn't looking at her phone. When my wife would have dinner with me, we'd have great conversations and it wasn't feeling rushed. And if I was standing there talking to all of you about myself, I would say that yes, the old me would have done anything for each and every one of you in this room. But the new me says, pull up your big girl pants, take care of yourself first, and everybody will understand. And here's the deal, guys. If they don't, if they don't, they don't belong in your balcony. They don't belong in your backyard. They don't belong in your living room. They don't belong on the other side of the phone call with you. And they certainly don't belong at the table with you. Because you matter, your self-care matters, and it's so, so important that you remember to show up for yourself. So I want you to take from this that the word no is a happy word. It's a wonderful word. It means so much and it can change your life. And if you are listening to this right now and you are struggling to understand how to say no to others and say yes to yourself, I would love just to have a conversation with you, have a cup of tea together. And let's talk about some simple things you can do 
to show up for yourself. And if nothing else, you can certainly go grab my ebook. And it's called pearlsebook.com. Just go to pearlsebook.com. And you can grab my Ultimate Steps to Guiltless Self-Care download book. It's going to give you habits that relieve stress and promote harmony in your life. It's going to help with the power of saying no to others and yes to yourself. So if you're ready for guiltless self-care and you want that inside scoop, all you have to do is go to pearlsebook.com because if you truly are serious about putting yourself first without guilt, you need to start taking the steps for some drastic change. And if you want help with that, all you have to do is email Shiro, S-H-E-R-O, Shiro at hello at wsliving.com. That's Shiro. Email that to hello at wsliving.com. Because you deserve to put yourself first today. And again, my name is Pearl Sharenza. I am from Tampa, Florida. I am a recovering people pleaser. I am somebody who wants to see you say yes to yourself and no to others without the guilt. I love to be at the beach. I love to have conversations like this with my family, my friends, and my clients that I coach. And I love to see when others say no and understand how powerful the word is. I love to see the doors that are opening for other people to walk into the yes that you just said no to. So I hope you have an amazing rest of the time in the summit. And I know you're going to enjoy listening to Carol and and Julie. And we have some great things we want to share with you during this summit. So have a great rest of your day and go find your inner Shiro. Welcome to the summit. We are so glad that you're continuing to join us for this exciting time together. Today, we are talking about positive intelligence. As mental fitness coaches, we want to share a little bit more about what is positive intelligence and how it can help you. Positive Intelligence, the book, was written by Shirsad Charmaine. And one of the things that he talks about in the book is how your mind is your best friend. And we as coaches know that 100% to be true. But also we know that your mind is also your worst enemy. Positive Intelligence measures the relative strength of the two modes of your mind. So are you allowing your mind to be your best friend or are you allowing your mind to be your worst enemy? High positive intelligence means your mind acts as your best friend, far more than your enemy. Low positive intelligence is the reverse. So by sharing a little bit about this positive intelligence framework, we wanna go ahead and help you make the best friend of your own mind so that you can live a happier, more intentional and successful life. The problem sometimes is that our performance and our happiness are only fleeting. So we want to make sure that we understand how to be able to create greater strength within our mind. So as we introduce uh, positive intelligence more, we want to go ahead and introduce you to something that is a common phenomenon for all of us here in the world. And that is that our mind has all of these different thoughts that run around inside. And these are what we call saboteurs. And it's a universal phenomenon. The question is not whether you have them because you do. 
But what is most important to ask yourself is who or what are your saboteurs? What are the different thoughts that really kind of circle around your brain, wrecking havoc when you are mostly in this frame of mind in which you have um, a lot of low um, energy and maybe your mind is your enemy at the moment because of the things that it's thinking. I want to go ahead and introduce again, Pearl Chiarenza, the host of the summit. And I want her to share a little bit about the sabotaging behaviors and thoughts that actually keep her back. And what we'll do is we'll each talk a little bit about what are our saboteurs, and perhaps you'll start to see some of these sabotaging behaviors within yourself. Now, we all have every saboteur that we're going to mention. However, there are some that are more prevalent than others. So Pearl, take it away. What are your saboteurs? Hey, thank you so much, Joy. Yeah. So as you said, our mind can be our best friend and our worst enemy. And for me, one of my saboteurs that shows up is being a people pleaser. And so it was many years ago, you know, I had had our two boys finally had our family after 10 years of trying and, you know, I, everything they wanted, I thought I'm a mom, I'm supposed to give my kids everything they want. And then once I moved to Florida, I got very involved in my community and I found myself saying yes to everything and everybody that would ask me to do something. And I wasn't stopping to think, really, was it lining up to what maybe my vision was? Did I really want to do it? Or was I just saying yes, because I didn't want to disappoint anybody? And as I went on the journey, and let me just explain what a people pleaser is. And that is a pleaser is indirectly tries to gain acceptance and affection by helping, pleasing, rescuing, or flattering others, losing sight of our own needs and becomes resentful as a result. And let me tell you, as the years went on and I was doing PTA stuff, volunteering in the community, helping, trying to help, you know, the kids, everything they wanted, let me give that to them. Um, especially my oldest, Matthew, who was born of our heart. You know, we brought him into this world through adoption and we thought, you know, had this dream of anything he wants, you know, let me give that to him. And as I was doing that, I was also avoiding my son, Nate. And then as, you know, going on and, you know, just sharing with Matthew for a moment, he had his struggles. So I became this rescuer, like every every step of the way. And th- some of you have had children and maybe have had challenges along the way, whether it's school, whether it's as I got older, had problems with some addictions. You want to rescue them, right? You want to fix things, right? And I became like that fixer. And so as I was in my community, I was new here. I moved here in my 40s, so I didn't really know anybody. And so I found myself trying to be accepted in all the circles that I was you know, trying to integrate in and meet people in. And so instead of learning to say the word no, if you would ask me to do something, and I know, you know, Carol and, and you both, if you, if I'd known you back in the day, you'd actually do something, I probably would have said yes without even thinking, did I really want to do it? Because again, I was trying to gain that affection. I was trying to gain that acceptance into the community. And, and then I was really lost sight of, what I wanted, what were my needs. And I did, if some of you have listened to my story before, I did a six-week identity and destiny course. And at the end of the six weeks, we had to give our I am statement. And um, and Carol knows Shannon Carlton was in the in the class with me and she called me out. She's like, I still don't hear Pearl in there. And you know, I hear a lot about your son Matthew. I hear nothing about your son Nate. And it really was an eye-opener to thinking, 
even after six weeks, I was still trying to please others instead of figure out who I was. And I truly, even during those six weeks, I still had not found the sight of what my own needs were and what I wanted. And so because of that, you know, I did have some resentment. I had some resentment that I kind of more to myself, not so much to others that I allowed myself to be sucked into the thought of I've got to say yes to everybody and no to others. And as I went on the journey of learning to overcome that, I realized that the aha for me was I was also by saying yes, now not allowing others to shine. And what do I mean by that? If I had said yes to maybe Carol was hosting an event and I said yes, but it really wasn't something that I really wanted to do in my heart, but I did want to let Carol down. I was not showing up fully who I needed to be for Carol, but maybe Julie was the better person to be there to bring her expertise in. I wasn't allowing Julie to shine in that moment. And so as that aha moment came to me, it became easier for me to learn to say no to others and making sure that I was in tune and in line with what my needs were. And so, you know, that's, that's one of the things I still struggle with it. Carol and Julie will tell you, they watch me still struggle with a little bit. It's not, it's not a perfect, you know, not perfectly balanced. I like the word harmony. I try to be as harmonic with my overcoming my people pleaser and keeping that saboteur in, in line. But I know that life's not a remote. I can't rewind it, but I can keep learning from it. So that those that's a little bit about my people pleaser. Carol, what about you? Where what's your saboteur show up? <laughs> well, my number one saboteur is avoider, and it has some of the same kinds of tendencies, believe it or not. Um, and I've been struggling with this all my life. So I have to be honest. I don't like conflict, so I avoid it at all costs. And in the role that I play, that's not a really good thing. I need to be able to address conflict. So um, I've worked hard at that and it's it's become easier, but it's still not a natural thing for me. Um, so so some of the tendencies for for the uh, for the, the avoider are avoiding conflict and saying yes to things one wouldn't want. Um, again, similar to what you just said, Pearl, committing to things that you really don't want to do, but you don't want to let people down. And then what happens is I, overcommit and I underdeliver because I don't have enough time to be able to get things done. So, you know, part of that people pleaser falls right into this bucket. Um, the other thing that happens for me is downplaying the importance of the real problems, you know, things that aren't going to go away. Um, it's sometimes easier for me, not really, but it seems easier to me to just pretend it's not really happening. And uh, it's kind of like sweeping it under the rug and maybe it will just go away. And the reality is that doesn't happen. Um, I used to tell people, um, you know, I would try to do things. And and I learned many years ago that to try is to not do. Um, trying is really a dumb word. It doesn't give us any action. You can try to drop a pen all day long, but if you drop it, then you've done more than try. You've actually taken action. But try is try to drop it and you just keep holding on to it. It's it's really one of those things. So I don't use that word anymore in my language because, and, and when I hear try from other people, I know it's not going to happen. Um, so it's it's one of those mind games that we play with ourselves. The other, the other thing that um, kind of pops in for me is 
instead of being direct with people, I have a hard time sometimes being direct because I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want people not to like me, you know, that whole thing. Um, so rather than being direct and saying, no, this is not working for me, I'll come around it in multiple different ways, kind of using a passive aggressive approach, not something that I'm proud of, but it's, it's how my body or my brain has just tried to deal with it. And, you know, when I am in that avoidance mode, what I've found is that I get stuck in doing very mundane routine things as opposed to doing the things that I know I need to do. Um, and it's, I, I procrastinate a lot. So I've really had to work hard on this and it's definitely something that is getting better. But again, it's it's that fear of dealing with something that I really don't want to deal with. So I push it off. Um, you know, the feelings that go around that, there's a lot of anxiety about it because when I do put things off and they continue to build and build and build, even though I'm pretending that I'm avoiding it or ignoring it, the reality is it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually I have to deal with it or address it, whether it's a relationship or a work task or, you know, whatever that might be. And I've seen that show up in my personal life a lot in the relationships that I've had, um, putting up with things that I really shouldn't, um, things that are not healthy for me in terms of how I'm treated or um, expectations that people have that are unrealistic. And instead of putting my foot down and saying, stop, I'm not, I'm, I'm not okay with that. I've kind of let it fly and let it slide. And I think, you know, in my elder years, <laughs> I've gotten a whole lot uh, more focused on my boundaries and, and telling people what's okay and what's not okay. So that I think I've really worked on, but you know, the, the, the sad part about the, these um, saboteurs and specifically this one, there's a lot of shame and guilt and frustration that goes along with it. And we don't realize, um, you know, until we shine the light on it, how negative, negatively it's impacting everything that we do um, because we try not to think about it, right? So what happens is we suppress our anger, we suppress our resentment, um, and eventually something has to blow, right? So we either get sick or, you know, things fall apart or we blow up at someone that we really care about. Um, usually the people that are closest to us are the ones who suffer the most. And which is sad, but it's because we have that level of trust and forgiveness, I guess, but it doesn't make it okay. And, you know, being able to put in place um your own boundaries and being able to speak up for yourself and taking action and asking for help. I think, you know, the avoider for me has been one of those things where a lot of the the things that I procrastinated on or or let go, if I had asked for help, I probably could have gotten past them sooner. Um, and again, I think that's something that that women particularly struggle with, that, you know, if we we come across as being very strong and independent women, especially business owners or entrepreneurs. But the reality is we need help just like everybody else does. And asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength, but it takes a long time to learn that. And, you know, when we, when we actually take the stand to say, this is something that's 
eating away at me and I need to take ownership of it and I want to make action and I want to take action and move forward. Um, getting the help that we need is really, I think, a key. So it has definitely um, had a negative impact on me. I think, you know, one of the things that I really like about learning about saboteurs is the fact that all of these things have been created by our brain in order to help us survive. And so growing up as a child, um, I was one of seven kids. And, you know, I don't know how much of that drives the the key saboteurs that I have. But, it, you know, one of the things that Shirzaz says based on his research is that the original survival function of avoider actually can rise from both happy and difficult childhoods. So it's not all about, you know, I had a horrible childhood because it was okay. You know, there were some things that were great, some things that weren't. But but it, he goes on to say, in happy childhood, one might not have learned the resiliency of dealing with difficult emotions, which is accurate. You know, um, it was in my household, it wasn't okay to cry. Um, so, you know, if you felt the sense of you were going to be upset about something, you went and basically hid from that because that wasn't an okay thing. You know, I can remember, um, and I love my dad, don't get me wrong, but I can remember him saying, if you want something to cry about, I'll give you something to cry about. You know, it's like, oh, please. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing is in a childhood of high conflict and tension, which I really did have, my dad was very structured and military guy and everything had a place. And my mom was very chaotic and um, how they stayed together as long as they did, I have no idea. But there was always a lot of chaos and conflict happening at home. And it was really my job to be the peacemaker. And that's exactly where this comes from, is trying to get everybody to get along. And I knew that if I could do that, then things would settle down and life would be easier. So that was a role, a very strong role that I played as a child and growing into young adulthood and learning not to add any negativity or tension to an already volatile situation. I mean, that's that's who I am. That's what I've done all my life. So, you know, there's reasons why um, and beating ourselves up for these saboteurs doesn't do us any good, but understanding the why, and then being able to make a choice in terms of how we do things differently going forward, I think is critical to our success. So that's my two cents. Thank you, Carol. You know, I love hearing uh, the vulnerability from each of you, because I think that sometimes we see people who are successful from the outside and all we are seeing is a success. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing behind the screen, behind the scenes. And it's important for us to normalize that as humans, we are all going to be struggling for with one thing or another. Mm -hmm. uh, perfection is a myth. And speaking of perfection, I'd like to speak a little bit about my saboteurs, which are the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the hyper achiever and the um, stickler, which have a total relation to perfectionism. For me, the hyper achiever makes me always go in this mode of achievement of and and it helps me self-validate and at times self-respect it keeps me focused mainly on the external success rather the internal criteria for happiness and at times i have to remind myself that 
the achievement, the award, the more money, the whatever, right, is not necessarily going to bring me happiness. And I have to recalibrate that for myself. I am always on the go. Every time I hit a goal, I'm looking to what is the next goal? How What can I achieve next, right? Mm-hmm. And that for me is something that keeps me at times, especially when I'm very focused on achieving. I know that my saboteur is telling me that I'm not good enough. It's telling me that um, I need to measure up to whatever, right? And that's why that hyper achiever keeps showing up for me one of the biggest things that I do is to really recalibrate and go back to the meaning of happiness for me, Mm. the meaning of success and gratitude. Gratitude plays a big, important part in helping me recalibrate that hyper achiever saboteur that makes me feel really crappy from time to time that, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, you're not making the mark. You didn't hit number one or whatever it might be. Um, In addition to that, My other saboteur, which is the stickler, that one is really focused on the need for perfection, for order. And at times, I go a little too far. I will give you an example for me. Uh, My husband doesn't help folding towels at home because he he can never fold them the way that I need them. They need to be (laughs) folded a certain way and aligned up in a certain way. There's uh, many times that even when we work together and he's the producer of the show, I, 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 another example is we are producing our podcast. Um, I color code uh, individuals in this spreadsheet that we keep and he's colorblind. He's like, I can't see the names if you're coloring them, but I am like sticking to it. I am sticking like, Nope, it's gotta be this way. This is how I want it. This is how I organize it. And, and then I tell myself and tell him If we don't have it color-coded, it's going to be very confusing for me and it's going to be very hard and I don't want that. Now, mind you, he's trying to help me. He is here to support me. He's probably enjoying me saying this right now as we speak, but it makes me, um, again, very rigid in people around me. When I am really in that stickler saboteur, um, it creates a lot of anxiety and uptightness for the people around me. And I know that when I am in the stickler mode, I I really um, I'm kind of uh, running people over as opposed to taking into um, account what are the things that matter. Does it matter that the spreadsheet <clears throat> may be multiple colors? No, it doesn't matter. All that we uh, matters is that the data is correct. So I have to go back and say what is most important to get it done or to get it done your way. Um, and that's one of the things that I want to encourage you. All of us have these saboteurs, as Pearl mentioned, you know, with her pleaser and the restless saboteur. And and by the way, um, we were talking earlier with Carol and Pearl and I, and we are all friends and we uh, have a restless saboteur very high up in our personality. And Mm -hmm. that is something that we're always searching for excitement, uh, something that gets us to, you know, the next activity that's fun. And I I want to tell you that again, all of us have a little piece of everything. And we are going to be sharing the quiz with you so that you too can identify 
who your saboteurs are. You too can identify what are the things that make your brain not be your friend when you're Mm -hmm. in this mode, when you're thinking of these things. I don't know, ladies, do you have anything else that you want to add a little bit? I know we didn't really talk about the judge, which is the master Mm -hmm. saboteur, but I'd love for you to share any additional thoughts that maybe I missed. Okay, I'll jump in. (laughs) I think, um, yeah, so the saboteurs, you know, I've always, in in what I do, I've, I've talked about the little voice in your head and the little voice that kind of talks to you at night when you're trying to sleep. And it tells you all the things that you've done wrong and all the reasons why you're not good enough and all the things that are going to fail. And, you know, I've just talked about it as this little voice in your head. And now with um, really experiencing uh, the the positive intelligence and learning from Shirzad, I realized that each one of those little voices has its own name and that each all of us have them. Some of them are are stronger and louder than the others. But, you know, I think the judge for me has been probably the biggest saboteur of all. And of course, that's pretty similar to, to most of us that, you know, it's constantly finding fault no matter what. Um, and I've learned over the years that I have to really stop that voice in order to put something else in place. Otherwise it just really takes me down a very negative path. So I think for, for, for those of you listening, positive intelligence is a way to help you understand how your brain really works. Also understand that no matter what happens to you, you can turn it into some kind of a gift or opportunity if you're willing to see it from that perspective. Um, that's a mind shift, and we'll talk more about that. But I do believe that at, you know, with the with these different saboteurs and really understanding, um, you know, the controller is another one that I think in my history was very um, far up there on my list. Although it's really come down in the ranking now, um, going into the work environment as a young adult. And having grown up in the environment that I did, I just felt like command and control was probably the best way to to get things done because that's kind of what I, I experienced with my dad. And so I became a very controlling kind of person as a supervisor. And what I realized over time was that was not an effective way to approach people. Um, but, but I had to get hit by hit over the head with a two by four before I finally figured it out. I had one guy who was ready to quit because I was just too mean to him. So trying to control everything as a way of navigating through conflict and tension is also not uh, a great approach. Control is important at some points in your life, but not all the time. So that was something that that I really did learn early on, and I've been able to to manage through. Um, that process and and become much more open and willing to hear other people and what their thoughts are to be able to solve problems. So I don't have to be in control anymore. It's not important to me. I don't put focus on it. I'm not competitive. Um, I like to win from the standpoint of myself, but not from winning over someone else. It's it. I don't I don't have that that desire in in myself. So hopefully that's helpful. Pearl, what about you? Yeah, it's funny you talk about controller because, you know, I've had many in my family say I'm a controller, but that shows up last on my on my saboteurs. Mm. And really what shows up for me second, and as you're talking about controlling, is is restless. And so where I, I I'm, you know, being restless, you know, it's like constantly in search of greater excitement in the next activity. 
and constant busyness, I'm rarely at peace or content with the current activity. And I, for me, I call it the squirrel method. Like I want like the squirrel, what's the next thing? And Julie's, yep. Julie's my coach. So she'll tell you, yep, she's got that too. But so for me, I feel like the controller needs to start showing up because I need to control that. Right. And, and so when I can put that and learn that that saboteur is not good for me, but then the judging of myself going, well, you're always, you know, you never stop and, and just enjoy what the moments. Right. And so I feel like sometimes I have to go to my, the saboteur, the controller and say, I need you to show up because I need you to control this. Right. And learning how to find, as I like to call harmony, um, because we're never completely imbalanced, but learning how to balance that out and enjoy what's just happening, you know, like sit back and enjoy whatever, you know, the successful retreat I do or, or t- something that Chuck and I have accomplished. I mean, almost 40 years of being together, that's, you know, enjoyment, but always think about how to do the next thing, you know, and what's the next thing I'm going to go do and that squirrel method. And, and, you know, like Shad said, our brain and our mind is such a great thing. It's powerful, but boy, can it really like throw us down a rabbit hole and, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, somebody as I coach as you know, as we all here coach, there's, you know, the other ones that show up, I, I, I like last week, I went through some stuff with my family and it was funny. I shared in our Shira league that as I was walking up the stairs to come to my office, I thought it was really, I thought, wow, I'm glad that showed up for me and not for this other person that I helped because the victim saboteur, which, you know, that emotional temperament of wanting to gain attention and affection is, you know, they tend to go to that extreme focus of internal feelings, you know, that martyr streak kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was like, man, I'm glad that I don't have that saboteur because Lord knows where it might've brought me down the rabbit hole of being restless, you know, and, and all. So, yeah, I think, I think once, and, and as we three have shared today, I think is once we start understanding, you know, you're not going to perfectly, I think what we have to remember too, is life's not perfect. Mm. You know, as we said, you can't be in balance all the time, but if we can learn how, as, as we do this positive intelligence, mental fitness coaching, we do, as we learn and we coach our clients to when they show up, you know, as you go through the process of the course, you know, like my, I named my saboteur, her name is Betsy and Betsy shows up. I'm like, yep, nope. Can't come in this world today, Betsy. We are not hanging out today, you know? So I think when you can learn that, and it's funny because years ago, I didn't know about this, but my kids would, we would have this thing with, if I went down a path of, you know, something that that we all had agreement that I was a a certain thing I was doing, you know, whether I was trying to control something or, you know, say yes for them or just not be listening with my ears instead of what I thought should be happening. Um, they would call, they would yell out Buffalo. We came up with a word for me. My family recognized it. It's so crazy how my kids in middle school, they recognize it. And if they would just say Buffalo, it was like that stop gap, which is why I like what he shared that, you know, when you, when you go through this, this coaching and you go through the program he offers that you can start recognizing when it shows up and you can start having those tools in your toolbox to say, Hey, no, Betsy, you can't come into this world today. Mm Mm-hmm. I like Betsy. That's cute. I like that as well. Um, I don't think I've named my saboteurs, but one of the things that I want you to keep a primary focus on is that your saboteurs, again, as I mentioned before, are part of the human experience. We all have Mm -hmm. a region in our brain in which is created to keep us safe, 
Um, and that's what our saboteurs were created by us because we wanted to kind of uh, survive. Your saboteur is really, their job is to focus on your emotional and physical survival. And for whatever reason, as a child, uh, you know, and all of us um, had different experiences growing up, but ultimately as children, we learn these behaviors to keep us safe and to make us feel um, in that homeostasis. But mm. when we begin to weaken how our saboteurs think, it really is going to require us to identify the thought and emotion patterns. So for instance, for me, when I am stressed is when my hyperachiever shows up the most. I'm always going to be competitive. I'm always going to look for number one um, and to get up there. But what is fueling my saboteur? Is is it because I, I'd love to achieve or is it because I'm trying to prove something? So weakening your saboteurs is going to, again, require you to be aware, to be intentional, and to really um, clarify for yourself and remind to yourself that you are in charge and that the sabotaging behaviors and your saboteurs do not serve you. So remember, when you are in a state of stress, you are feeding and fueling your sabotaging behaviors, your thoughts. Anytime that you ex you are feeling that um, anxiety, that you're frustrated, that you're disappointed, you're feeling in that regret or guilty, it really is a direct result of how we are judging ourselves, how we are judging others or judging situations or outcomes in our life. So there's really no redeeming qualities to this judge and all the saboteurs, but keep looking at um, the way in which you are approaching things. You know, if you have, uh, for instance, <clears throat> a disagreement with your boss, um, and you're thinking, wow, this person is, is ridiculous. They're making my life different and difficult. They're not really making your life difficult. You're choosing to continue to dwell on the circumstances that happen. And it's not about dwelling in the circumstances. It's about thinking, okay, well, this happened. My boss said that. How can I um, use this as a gift? What is the positive side of this? So it is important to keep that in mind. And mm. you will see that, again, awareness is the first step. Notice, um, we are going to share with you the saboteur assessment so that you can um, figure out for yourself which are the saboteurs. So we want to go ahead and, and start to shift from this to shifting a little bit of our paradigm in building um, optimism and finding happiness. So one of the things I think is really amazing about what Shrizad has done has given us a framework to be able to say all that negative stuff that we've talked about, all those saboteurs, and this is a very simplified version, but it all lives in the left side of our brain. And mm -hmm. we spend a lot of time in the left side of our brain because that's typically what's happening is that all that negativity stuff around us. But one of the things he really pushes is building what he calls the sage muscle, and your sage muscle lives in your right, in the right side of your brain. So think about it from the standpoint of switching your focus, um, almost like a, a light switch. And what's really cool about 
shifting paradigm is let's look at what the sage brings to the table, right? These are characteristics like empathizing with others and empathizing with yourself, understanding why you're feeling the way that you are and being able then to explore what other possibilities might exist. How could you use this, as Julie said, as a gift or opportunity? And then it takes us down the path of innovation. Let's figure out a way that we can utilize everything that we've learned, both positive and negative, to come up with something new and be able to navigate through a change process that brings us over to the other side of our brain and activates that positivity that falls on the sage side. And he talks about it sometimes as, you know, putting your hand on a hot stove. When you do that, you immediately feel pain and you pull your hand off. The saboteurs are intended to tell us that something bad is happening or there's painful moment. What he does say is you don't want to leave your hand on the hot stove. You don't want to stay in that saboteur mindset for more than a second or two. It's a warning signal. Take the warning signal, flip the switch, move on to the sage side and think about what you can do, how you can respond differently than you typically would in the saboteur mindset. Pearl, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's funny how the left have the, the two brains. I always like to say, you know, our brain is like a file cabinet. All that, all that stuff that we tell ourselves negatively is sits in the front, and we forget to get in the back. But once he, you know, walks you through the left and right, I'm like, oh yeah, that's even more powerful. And and it's funny how you have to be in certain sides of your brain to be able to deal, you know, work through your saboteurs and and to say that, and you know, and. I feel like too, like when we find to finding happiness in this, first of all, you know, for the list, people that are listening, it, it doesn't happen overnight. This is something mm-hmm. you have to work on. You know, these, these things that we're, that, that we're sharing these tips and that we're sharing, and there's other saboteurs that we didn't even get to discuss today, but it, you have to give yourself grace and, and remember that it's not going to happen overnight. And I, I like how he, you know, he sh- shares the, it, through the different the part of the course is like the meditations and the, I just love his voice too. I mean, you know, I just, just love to listen to his voice because giving yourself grace, it allows you to also to find that happiness, you know, and, and that in the end of the day, that's what we want. You know, we want you, we want ourselves to feel happy in our life because it's not fun, you know, to go through things like what I've done the last year, losing a son and and then still stepping forward and, and doing life. Many people I've met on the same journey, they've lost this child or a loved one 20 years ago. And it's like, it happened yesterday. And trust me, I, I feel like it happened yesterday too. And at the same time, having these tools and toolbox to understand how the saboteurs and the judges, how they can show up and how to work with the sage has helped me over the last year or two step back in and to continue growing in my life that I had prior to Matthew's passing. And, and it's also helped me to find happiness through what I do through the joy of what I do in my business. And then also with my other outlets and my family and friends. And at the same time through this, you know, it's hard, it's hard work that this process that we help and we work through this, you know, yes, it's, it's over six weeks, However, it's continuous work. You have to continue to work at it. And one of the things that I love to put in a place with this is sitting down. I love listening to the meditations that he offers. And that 
those things are what brings me happiness. So finding the things that make you feel happy and fulfilled helps you when the Betsy's, as I call my saboteurs, show up. It helps you to say, oh, okay, I know that's happening. So the sage part of me, you know, is is helping me understand what do I want to do with this, right? I Years ago, I did a Dale Carnegie coach. And one of the things that we, we coach on is, what are your three answers that you can take from that? What are three action steps you can take? And then pick the one and go with it. And adding this to that process now has helped me find more harmony in my life. It's been able to say, here's what's happening. Here's how my saboteur is showing up. How do I want to respond? And what are, what are the three ways I could respond? And what's the best way for me to respond? And that for me has helped me work through being a people pleaser, work through you know that that restlessness that I that I have and recognize that I can say no just as happy as I say yes and guess what it feels so much better to say no often than the yes for me I think for me Pearl and, and um the one thing that I want to say is that we have to um focus on the ability that we have to be able to reframe to be able to look at things in a different way. Um, We've talked about a lot about the saboteurs, but I want people to walk away really from understanding that they have the power to activate the sage inside each of us um, that can help us actually uh, not be hijacked by the saboteurs. And as you begin to see how you can explore, innovate, empathize, you're going to see that you can activate and navigate your your sage power inside of you. Carol, I don't know um, if you wanted to add a little bit more to that. Yeah, I, I think just to kind of wrap it up, you know, one of the things that I like so much about Shirzad's process um, is that he teaches us to actually utilize our five senses to trigger that sage side of our brain. And it causes us to have to sit back and reflect in very small, short little increments, you know, two minutes at a time throughout the day to say, where am I? How can I focus more on the positive? How can I move myself forward? How can I retain my happiness? And in doing so, he's taken something that a lot of us have done in our lifetimes meditation, which typically is done over, you know, longer periods of time when you're by yourself with mellow music and he's put it into a framework that we can utilize just in time. So when I'm sitting in a meeting and things are getting tense and I know I'm going to have to address a conflict as a facilitator, I rub my two fingers together (laughs) Um, because that's what helps me focus in on what can I do to add value to the situation and, and to get people to move in a different direction. Um, when I'm feeling stressed or anxious, if I'm driving, one of the things that I do with my eyes wide open is I focus on my breathing because I know if I can get my breathing in line and I'm focused on that, then the crazy drivers around me are not making me lose my mind. So it's it's simple things that don't seem like they would have such a huge impact, 
But when you do them on a regular basis for two minutes at a time throughout your day, it changes everything. So I just want to add that. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this has been a really exciting conversation. I love sharing this knowledge with individuals because it is the first step in beginning to create new um, paradigm shifts for yourself and to really be able to grow into a happier, peaceful, more confident life, Uh, Mm. taking care of yourself, knowing how to support yourself in this journey. So uh, now we're going to move on. And Pearl, I can't wait to hear more of what we have in store of this incredible summit you've put together. Yes, I'm so excited. And so everybody stay tuned. And I hope you guys enjoy everything you are going to be receiving during the rest of the summit. All right, everybody. Stay tuned for our next segment. Hi, I'm Carol Gill. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'd like to spend some time with you talking a little bit about emotional intelligence, your life purpose, and how those things impact how successful and happy you are in your life. When we think about today's work environments, uh, we know we need to create productive environments where people really want to take responsibility for the results and do their very best. Table stakes to get into an organization these days are academic qualifications, industry experience, and so on. But what we've found in today's world is there's a very strong focus for emotional intelligence skills. And when we think about what that means, a lot of us have different understandings or definitions of what is emotional intelligence. So I want to talk with you a little bit about that. Um, Self-management and interpersonal skills are really the foundation for emotional intelligence. A person who lacks self-awareness and the ability to manage themselves and their responses to their emotions has a tendency to demonstrate an inability to cope with stress. They can be very moody. They have a tendency to react to feedback in a very defensive way. Typically, they have a short fuse. The uh, simple little things will upset them. And they also have a tendency to cast blame on others for their reactions. Since self-awareness and self-management are a prerequisite to effectively dealing with people, this type of behavior actually results in a failure to listen to ideas put forward by others. It results in being overly critical and insensitive to the needs of other people. It also lends a tendency to be aloof or arrogant, which nobody wants to work with someone like that. And ultimately, they become very manipulative rather than persuasive and influential. It's not hard to see that the results of a person who's deficient in emotional intelligence would be to undermine any attempt by the organization or the team to get employees to be willing to give of their best, to really take responsibility for the results that they achieve. By contrast, the emotionally intelligent person deals with stressful situations in a calm and confident manner. They accept feedback, they admit mistakes, and they're optimistic about solving problems. They're good at building trust and being trustworthy. People can count on them. They're sensitive to the needs and feelings of other people around them, and they're comfortable letting other people take responsibility without micromanaging. So we really do want to create an environment in our workplaces and in our lives where our families, our coworkers, our subordinates can take ownership. And that's where emotional intelligence really comes in. 
So let's talk about what that means. Emotional intelligence is really a set of competencies, and competencies are those skills that we need in order to be effective. Emotional intelligence consists of two sets of competencies. One is a personal level of competence. It's capabilities that determine how we manage ourselves. The second set of competencies are what we call social competence. And these are capabilities that determine how we manage ourselves in relationship to other. So it's really about building relationships and maintaining relationships. So when I think about the the first section of that, the first uh, level of competence, which is personal, it's self-awareness is all about being able to read my own emotions, understand what they're doing to me, um, how they have a tendency to make me react, knowing what my impact is from those feelings, and using that gut sense that I have to guide my decisions. Um it also includes knowing my strengths and, and limitations. All of us have challenges. None of us are perfect. So what am I really good about and what do I need help with? What are the areas that I really struggle with? And, and within self-awareness is also self-confidence. Do I have a sound sense of my own self-worth? Do I know what I'm capable of? Do I know what my strengths are? And am I using them to my capacity? So that's really what self-awareness is about. It's knowing me and what makes me tick. Self-management is then learning how to control my responses to the emotions as they're happening. So emotional self-control is really recognizing disruptive emotions and impulses that happen to all of us and making a choice in terms of how we respond to those as opposed to allowing them to take us down the path. Um, So think about a time when you were frustrated with something and you allowed your emotion to drive your language. Chances are you felt later like you opened your mouth and inserted your foot. We've all done that. Um, So when we talk about self-management, it's recognizing I'm feeling angry or frustrated It's knowing what's happening to me physiologically. Is my blood pressure going up? Is my face turning red? Am I holding my breath? All those things can happen. And then making a conscious choice before I react, before I put any words out into the world, What? how can I respond in a way that is going to get me to the result that I'm looking for? And if you can take that nanosecond that it takes to flip that switch, you will respond in a different way than you typically would if you allow the emotion to drive the response. So self-management is learning how to do that. And it's not easy, but you can do it. And trust me, I'm uh, a firm believer in this because I have seen it happen in myself. Transparency is also a big part of self-management. It's being honest, being trustworthy, being authentic. People don't have to guess where you're coming from. Another part of self-management is being adaptable and flexible. We need to be able to move with the changing times that we're living in right now. Adapting to change and overcoming obstacles requires us to be flexible and adaptable and to pay attention to what's happening around us. Self-management also includes the drive to improve performance. And it's it's a drive from an intrinsic perspective, not necessarily an external pers- perspective. We're driven to achieve success and to achieve our goals in a way that's meaningful to the bigger picture. 
Self-management also includes having the readiness to act and take over opportunities as they show up. And ultimately, it's optimism. Um, Self-awareness and self-management help us to see the upside in events. Instead of seeing the negative, we're looking for the positive. So when we really start focusing in on building these skill sets in ourselves and building resiliency around them so that we can actually utilize these skills in an ongoing basis. They become part of who we are. It's not something that we do in addition to. When I then look at social competence, what we're really focusing in on is how do I manage my relationships with other people? Some people are very difficult. We all have those difficult people in our lives. And many times they're difficult because we don't understand them. We don't know where they're coming from. We don't understand why they do what they do. And we want them to be like us because that makes more sense. Uh, The downside to that is the world would be very challenging if everybody was just like me. So social awareness is really about looking at others and recognizing that they have the same things going on for them as we do. Um, they ha- they are coming from a place of good intent for the most for the majority of the time. And empathy is a big part of social awareness. It's sensing other people's emotions, their their perspectives, and understanding where they're coming from. It's taking an active interest in their in their concerns without trying to make them believe what we believe or think the way we think they should think. It's also about being able to read the currents in the organization or the relationship um, and understanding what else is in the picture. It's not just the conversation that may take be taking place. There's more to um, the individual than what meets the eye. And social awareness also includes recognizing and meeting um, your your clients' needs, your customers' needs, your your subordinates' needs. It's focusing on them as opposed to focusing on yourself. Um, to me, social awareness is also about being humble. It's about putting others' needs at the same level or if not higher than your own to truly try to understand before you try to make people understand you. Um, You know, Stephen Covey said that many years ago in The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. People are much more willing to listen to you when they know that you have listened to them. The the fourth area is relationship management. And this is where we take all of the knowledge from our, our own personal competence and our social awareness, and we tie that together to create leadership. We become leaders. We become guiding and motivating others, having a compelling vision and helping them see where that vision is and how they get there. We use influence instead of manipulation, um, wielding a wide range of tactics to help people see things from different perspectives. We help develop others. Um, Highly emotionally intelligent people are not afraid to develop others out of the organization, to actually help them be successful, get promoted, uh, become the best they can be. And we do that through feedback and guidance and facilitation. We're change catalysts. We initiate, we manage, and we lead in new directions to help people come up with new ideas. Um, We're good at resolving disagreements and managing through conflict in a way that makes everybody whole. Uh, We don't ever want to see people 
be demeaned or lose their self-esteem. We build bonds. We cultivate and maintain a web of relationships that help us in our lifetime and help others to build new relationships. And we are very cooperative. Cooperation and team building is a big part of emotional intelligence. So when we think about those skills, those are things that all of us need, and we call them whatever we call them. But ultimately, they are definitely competencies that we can develop over time. And one of the things that that I think is so important for us as human beings to really consider is how do we know whether or not we're doing a good job? How do we know whether or not we're living our life with intention and purpose? And that's something that I'm very, very focused on. Um, it's been a passion for me for many, many years to really empower, inspire, and encourage people, specifically women from all walks of life, to live their lives with purpose and intention, becoming the very best they can be by realizing their own true potential. And I've done a lot with emotional intelligence, and now I'm working with positive intelligence, which which helps us understand what our saboteurs are. Um, we have these little voices in our head that tell us all the things that we're doing wrong or we're not good enough or that get in our way or the roadblocks. And most of you know what that little voice that I'm talking about very rarely doesn't have anything positive to say. But we also have another side of our brain, which is the positive side. And in positive intelligence, we talk talk about that as the sage side. And in the sage side, that's where empathy and flexibility and creativity, all those wonderful things reside. So how do we tap into that part of our brain and and minimize the negativity that we get from the saboteurs? And one of the things that I've learned over the years that I've been working with people is it comes back to the basics. In order to really be able to build that self-awareness and understand yourself, you need to go to the base foundation. Who are you? Why are you here? What matters most to you? Those questions, if you can't answer, will keep you stuck. So one of the things that I suggest to all of my clients is that you consider where you are right now in your life. And one of the things, one of the ways that you can do that is just get a piece of paper and draw a big circle on the paper. And then put lines in the circle that kind of slice it up like a pie. And in each one of those pie slices, jot down what matters to you. Now, for example, I have my life wheel here in front of me, and in one of those capacity, one of those little pie slices, I have family because family is very, very important to me. Another one I have social, which is my relationships with my friends and and coworkers. I also have a pie slice for financial. Um, I have one for my my work. I have one for my my education or my mental capacity, and I have one for physical. Um, so that would include my my taking care of myself, whether it's exercise or meditation. But you can fill in as many different slices on that wheel as you want to, and you can label them however you want to. What I want you to think about is starting at the inside of that circle, in the middle of those pie slices. When you're at the middle on each one of those areas, you are not satisfied at all. And as you move out closer to the edge of the circle, if you were to highlight how satisfied you are in each one of those areas, what would it look like? 
So for me, in my family circle, I have highlighted from the center of the circle almost all the way out to the edge. And what that tells me, or someone else looking at my circle, my wheel of life, would say, you have a very satisfactory family life. And I do. I have two beautiful sons. I used to call them my boys, but they are grown men. So I have two beautiful sons, two beautiful daughter-in-laws, and three gorgeous grandkids that I love with all my heart. And I get to spend time with them. I make time to spend with them. And that's very important to me. So I am extremely satisfied with that aspect of my life today versus where I was maybe 30 years ago because I didn't have the time to spend, which was not not happy for me. Now, when I look at my financial portion of the wheel, uh, my highlighting isn't all the way out to the end of the circle. It's actually closer to kind of the middle. Um, And what that tells me is that I really need to work on building that financial muscle. Um, I'm not very good at saving, so that has been a challenge for me over the years. But when you put all of these pieces together, and I want you to go through this activity for yourself and highlight how satisfied you are in each of the areas on your wheel that you've created. And then I want you to sit back and reflect on that wheel. How much have you actually achieved? How satisfied are you? And is that okay with you? And I will tell you that for a period of time in my younger years, when I was working for corporate America and I had two small children, I was climbing the corporate ladder, as many of us do. And I gave up a lot of time. I I had to decide, do I focus on making money or do I focus on being with my children? And it was a very challenging decision to make because I wanted to be with my children. That was what was driving me is I want to be home with my kids. But I also knew that the role that I was in required me to travel. And if I didn't travel, I could not make as much money as I did, which would then put me in a place where I couldn't support my children as well as I did. So it was it was kind of a catch-22. So for a period of two or three years, thankfully, I had my mom and dad in town, and they helped a lot um, with my my kids when they were younger. And that was truly a blessing because I knew that my, my boys were with family when I had to travel, and I was gone three, four di- days at a time. But it worked, and I was satisfied with the fact that I knew when I was home, they were getting quality time for me. What this wheel does for you is it tells you what's okay and what's not okay as you're looking at how the balance is, because you'll never get a wheel that's 100% in the same place. It kind of rolls rocky. (laughs) But you need to ask the question, is this okay? Am I okay with this? And if you're not okay with this, then the next question is, what am I going to do about that? Then you move into the process of saying, okay, if I want to be in a different place, how long do I want to wait to get there? And what do I need to do from now until then to make that happen? And that's living your life with intention as opposed to letting life happen to you. So many of the tools that I have help people identify what they're looking for. I have a deck of cards called Better Questions, Better Life that I created with a friend of mine, Diane Allen, that really help people understand um, the questions are focused on who are you? Why are you here? What are you passionate about? What would happen if? 
pretty open-ended questions that help us think about what matters most to us and help us define our values and things that really are non-negotiables for us from a from an overall uh, life perspective. But living your life with intention includes things like planning and purpose focus and understanding why you are who you are and what you're trying to accomplish in the world. So I, I wanted to share a little activity with you that I have used over the years um, that really helps define what your purpose in life is. And many years ago, I created my purpose in life and I have lived that purpose for the last 27 years. Um, and I will share it with you. My purpose in life is to in inspire, encourage, and empower women from all walks of life to live their lives with purpose and intention, becoming the best they can be by realizing their true potential. Now, I created that in a process that I used, and I'm sharing that with you right now. So the first question that I asked myself, and this comes from several different uh, schools of knowledge out there, so this is not Carol creating, um, answer the question, how do I want to be remembered when I'm gone? Think about the qualities, the behaviors, and the actions that you would like people to remember you by. Think about it from the perspective of your spouse, your significant other, your family, your friends, your peers, groups that you participate with, and so on. I want you to write this in the third person as if you were describing someone else. It's easier to jot things down when you're thinking about someone else besides yourself. Take your time on this exercise. It's going to be the foundation for your next step. And as you go through this, you'll find that the qualities and the behaviors and the actions that you identify are probably the values that are most meaningful to you. When I went through this activity, some of the things that I wrote down were compassion. I want people to see my compassion. I want people to know that I care. I, I want to be remembered for the value that I added wherever I showed up, for the fun that we had, for the smile that I always had on my face, for the ability to open the door to think about things from a different perspective. So I really identified things that, that are important to me that I want other people to see. Now you can stop this recording or, or this audio, whatever you're doing here, uh, and take a minute to do this, or you just come back to this. But again, think about how you want to be remembered when you're gone almost as if you're standing above the service being held for you and and watching people talk about who you are, uh, the value that you added to them, the impact that you made in their lives. And take it seriously. Once you've created that, the second step is then to identify the action that you can see yourself doing the type of person, organization, or cause that you want to serve. And then lastly, the goal or end result you want to co-create with that person, organization, or cause. And this is a very simple little template. So if you think about it, the first part of the sentence is, my purpose in life is to. The next step is describe the action that you can see yourself doing. So my purpose is to empower, inspire, and encourage. The 
third step is who am I going to do that for? Women from all walks of life. And what's the goal or end result that I want to co-create with those folks? To believe in themselves, to live their lives with purpose and intention, becoming the best they can be by realizing their true potential. It's a simple format, and if you're interested in getting a template, I can certainly send that to you. All you have to do is email me at carol, C-A-R-O-L-E, at carolgill, C-A-R-O-L-E-G-I-L-L dot com, and say purpose in your email. Please send me the purpose document. I'd be happy to email that to you. But again, simple purpose statement. My purpose in life is to describe the action you can see yourself doing, describe the type of person, organization, or cause you want to serve, and describe the goal or end result you want to co-create. It's a simple process, but it's very powerful, and it will keep you focused on what matters most in your life as you go forward. Once you've identified what your true life purpose is, then you need to actually integrate that into your daily life. And we do that through goal planning, through um, you know time management, taking action, and all of those things. One of the things that I've learned over the years is that I have a tendency to walk around with what I call self-imposed limitations, right? Those belief systems in my head that tell me I can't do it, I'm not good enough, I don't have what it takes, all that saboteur stuff. So one of the things that has helped me over the years is really putting in place some good, strong affirmation statements that I can continuously repeat to myself that help me focus on the fact that I can make things happen, that I am capable, that I am worthy. And we need to build those belief systems for ourselves. So affirmations are positive declarations of truth used to control our reactions to life situations. The use of affirmations can release the power of the conscious and the subconscious mind and direct the course of your life. So keep in mind your your brain, sometimes your mind is a, a friend to you and sometimes it isn't. Affirmations help program your brain to focus on the good stuff, to focus on what's right, to focus on what we want to create in our lives. And they should be taking the place of the negative messages that we hear every once in a while popping into uh, play. Affirmations are positive declarations of truth. They're used to shape your basic attitudes and to control your reactions um, to what's happening around you. They release the power of both the conscious and subconscious mind, as I mentioned before. And it's important to focus in on what you want when you're thinking affirmations, not on what you don't want. So some of my affirmations, I am lovable, capable, and worthy. I say that to myself many times a day because I really want to believe that. And, you know, people know me and think that I'm so confident. And I I have the same little voice in my head as, as all of us do that tells me, yeah, not so much. So affirmations really help me focus in on making my life the way I want it to be. Um, Another of my affirmations is I'm happy, healthy, wealthy, and free. And that helps me recognize 
my ability to control my outcomes, um, to control my reactions, to control how I allow other things around me to affect me or impact me. It's really my choice. Nobody else can make me feel less than without my permission. And I've learned that over time. It, No matter how many times I, I heard that said, it just resonates so strongly with me. Um, my life is my life. It's nobody else's fault that I am where I am. It's nobody else's congratulations that I am with that when I am where I am. I've made my choices. I've had wonderful people in my life that have helped me and guided me and and given me insight. But ultimately, it's my choice as to what to do with that information. So I am responsible. I am accountable for me, for the good stuff as well as for the not so good stuff. The bottom line is this: we can alter our lives by altering our state of mind. We can choose how we want to show up in the world, and we can identify the life that we want to create and take action to make that happen. Again, thanks so much for joining me today, and I will talk to you in a later episode. Have a great one.